Welcome to Governmental Astrology. I'm Linda Rowe. Today is March 30th, 2020. I've been thinking quite a bit about disease in the last several weeks. And at the, one of the things I'm thinking about is at the time of colonization, and even before that, when Christopher Columbus landed at what is today's Bahamian Islands, the conquerors brought with them many diseases, chiefly among them smallpox. Uh, the diseases brought by conquerors, colonists, and settlers were chiefly responsible for killing off many, if not most, of the indigenous people living in this area at the time. Likewise, during the Continental Congress Army's campaign against the British, otherwise known as the Revolutionary War, many of the U.S. troops were contracting smallpox. In order to make his army ready for battle, because they were always losing against the British due to the smallpox, uh, George Washington undertook a campaign of inoculation for the troops, and this helped his troops not fall sick while fighting the British. As an aside, I'm going to leap up to the Revolutionary War. Um, I meant, sorry, the Civil War. Yellow fever was present in the U.S. South during the 1800s, and yellow fever was a viral disease spread through infected mosquitoes. When a person received a bite from an infected mosquito, the yellow fever virus passed into their bloodstream. And yellow fever was not ever passed from human to human, however. And it's still around today, and it's still not passed from human to human. Um, during the Civil War, a physician who lived in the South, Luke Blackburn, probably, it's not, he, it's not for sure, but probably, he sent a trunk of infected clothing to President Lincoln in an attempt to give President Lincoln yellow fever. It was a, an assassination attempt. Um, however, although the clothing probably smelled pretty ripe. It did nothing to transmit the disease since it was passed through a mosquito. Um, I just, I, I find it interesting to see how the viruses are playing a big role in the important events here in the United States. So uh, getting back to the Continental Army uh, and George Washington's mandatory inoculation of his troops against smallpox, um, I can see that it does make sense that there's a virus playing a big role in the United States today. Uh, during revolutionary times, the colonists feared inoculation, reportedly because inoculation required injecting live disease under the skin. And some people, instead of developing a mild form of the disease, developed a strong case of smallpox and they died. Um, the numbers of people that died during a smallpox inoculation were, were pretty small, about 1%. And that was certainly fewer that died um, than they did from letting smallpox run rampant uh, as it did on the North American continent. Uh, it, it ran completely westward, uh, went down into Mexico, killed Mexicans. And of course, as it's killing both Americans and Mexicans, it's also killing huge numbers of indigenous people in both countries. Washington's inoculation campaign was successful. Um, 
they had to keep it a secret from the British because it obviously took time to recover from even a mild case of smallpox. Um, but the Continental Army was much better able to fight the British as a result. And of, of course, it's important to note that the British Army had already been inoculated against smallpox because it was common in Europe to inoculate people. It wasn't an issue like it was here in the colonies. This fear of vaccination present during revolutionary times and also present now, it's a major energy that the United States is facing as we move into the Pluto return for the United States. In fact, Pluto is only three degrees away from its exact conjunction which will happen in February, 2022. We're already in the territory of the Pluto return. And that is one of the difficulties with Pluto that the transits last a very long time. Of interest, the Wuhan asteroid is currently one degree away from an exact conjunction with the natal Pluto of the United States. The exact conjunction of the Wuhan asteroid will take place on April 5th, 2020, only a few short days away. Of note, also on April 5th, the Panacea asteroid will be making an exact conjunction as it transits the North Node for the United States. And the current North Node of the United States, the transiting North Node, will be making an exact conjunction with Nail Venus for the United States. I've never done any asteroid information on this podcast before. However, I do tend to look at asteroids and they usually have very interesting information to impart. Of note, although not discovered at the time of the Declaration of Independence, the Wuhan asteroid was in the location of the U.S. natal 8th house in Taurus. Um, and I'm using whole house charts to determine that. Um, it's during times like these that I find it helpful to ask, why has astrology existed for thousands of years? To be sure, the astrological language has undergone periods of change, and it has even experienced periods of inactivity when the worldwide atmosphere was not conducive to public astrology. Nevertheless, astrology has been around more or less continuously since ancient times. I've noticed that some astrologers consider the birth chart to be a battle between good and evil. They have beneficent planets and maleficent planets or houses, I'm not really sure. I do know that some astrologers consider Saturn to be, while not exactly an evil force, certainly an authoritarian figure. And I don't ascribe to this, although I am not saying that astrologers who do ascribe to that method are wrong. I just see that the Earth's effort to rid herself of this system of outside control, it's a big issue for the Earth, and she's been participating in astrology this entire time, mainly so that we can get to this point. The other planets in our solar system are just as interested in shaking this outside control as anybody is. And in fact, uh, the Earth and our solar system have the support of the entire universe right now. This is a very big deal what we're going through. The fact that the Wuhan asteroid 
shows up in the eighth house of Taurus and the Panacea asteroid shows up in the 12th house of Virgo and Chiron shows up opposing the ascendant for the United States. These are all extremely energetic alignments. The message coming from the birth chart for the United States is very energetic. And there are reasons for this very energetic message. And those reasons are actually why I began this podcast. But then the SARS-CoV-2 virus came in and it has been difficult for me to really get to explaining this birth chart and then to explaining the history of the United States as I had originally planned. There's uh, just so much information here and it's all tied in with authoritarianism, with living in captivity, with freedom, and even with being a parasite. It's all here. Let me just say, the Wuhan asteroid is not calling the SARS-CoV-2 virus the Chinese virus. I'm, I'm not participating in that. Rather, astrology marks the moment and energy becomes visible. And so taking a look at this Wuhan asteroid, uh, which up to a few days ago nobody had really paid a lot of attention to, it's just simply saying that the moment this virus became visible was a faded moment for the United States. Um, and I can actually see other connections to the Wuhan asteroid that have nothing to do with the virus, but, and we'll get to those. Um, it's just saying that China is, um, it's an important um, connection with the United States that for this virus, China's the beginning and the United States is the end. The earth is about connection and support and the astrological chart is a visual representation of the energy of the earth. And so this linkage between China and the, and the US, it's an energy that both countries hold in common. It's an energy that will become apparent as we move forward through this together. This message is a constructive message. It's not destructive, not in um, any way of, of being specifically destructive, um, except for being destructive of the parasite. In fact, the location of the Wuhan asteroid in the eighth house of Taurus is extremely interesting. Taurus is a constrained energy, boxed in on both sides. Taurus is boxed in by Aries on one side and by Gemini on the other. And I always think of container plants when I think of Taurus, but another way of thinking about contained Earth is as individual life forms. Each human being contains the earth. Each cow, each rooster, each anything, dog, worm, we all contain the earth. Taurus is a time of planting in the northern hemisphere and it's a time of harvest in the southern hemisphere. And both planting and harvesting are contained earth activities. The eighth house is a very energetic house. Typically, the eighth house is a house of transformation. And I know that I say the transformation generally occurs at the axle of the wheel, uh, where, where you're chained to a system, and also at the point at which you're in contact with the earth. Um, <clears throat> but the eighth house is a house of transformation, mostly because it opposes the second house, um, and the second house is a house of, of the individual, 
The second house is a house of self-worth. The eighth house takes the energy of the individual and it connects it to the energy of the entire group or to the other. Also, the eighth house deals with attitudes about change. It deals with resources and inheritance, and it also deals with death and rebirth. The SARS-CoV-2 virus is going to be a very big deal for the United States. All right, so now we have Taurus, very important, uh, particularly how as... Uh, particularly as it relates to how people in the United States are dealing with resources. So typical astrology considers Taurus to be a sign of comfort and of sensual pleasures and of beauty. When you contrast comfort, sensual pleasures, and beauty to the energy of the shelter-in-place orders that most of us are living under, you get an epic struggle. You get people who weren't ready for the pandemic being hurried along and they don't really like being hurried along. You get hoarding of creature comforts and you get personal protection equipment that might be better served being used in a public setting. For me, Taurus is an energy of an animal who lived in freedom and who lived on its own accord. Taurus is a herd energy, but not like we usually refer to herd. Taurus is representative of the great caribou herds, the great buffalo herds, the great wildebeest herds. Taurus is a really wonderful and important energy that is only an ember inside of us. You could say rather than be an ember, Taurus is a seed and it's ready for planting. And it's going to sprout up and soon it's going to grow into a nice strong plant. This is the Taurus energy. It cannot go without saying, however, that Taurus is also an energy of herd immunity as we move through this. All right, let's look at the, the wild animal. We need to remember that Boss Taurus, which is today's cattle, um, it was related to the Boss Primo genius that lived in freedom and that went extinct after prolonged exposure to the virulent form of the patriarchy. The last wild Boss Primo genius was last seen alive in Poland in the year 1627. At that time, the free boss cattle were going extinct, or at the time that the free boss cattle were going extinct, the United States had entered into a new phase of its colonization. The United States had begun bringing over human beings from Africa to live in bondage, to live in captivity forever. This was an energetic step in colonization. Before, invaders entered an area and began to control the men. But with the advent of slavery, invasion was no longer necessary. The invaders simply went and stole human beings and put them to work in a working prison. And this prison was intergenerational. No slave owner had any intention of ever freeing any human being he had acquired through this robbery. For me, slavery is an Aquarian wound, as the, as the mythology of Aquarius is about stealing a young boy and putting him into service, supplying both sexual favors and water to the gods on Olympus. 
This wound has been with the United States since its very beginning. And I look to the age of Aquarius to be a time when we can finally begin the healing from having entered into this most vicious act. The United States has its sun, midheaven, Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter all in the 10th house. This is the house of career, reputation, public standing, and responsibility. A lot of planets in a very energetic house. Um, I'm going to say that most people would have been happy to have all of those planets in the 10th house if that was their birth planet. Um, they would be thinking that the U.S. was a very important country. But now that the virus is here and we have Trump in charge, I wonder how people feel about having so many planets in such an energetic and influential house. What will be the role of the United States in this pandemic as we look at our careers our reputation, our public standing, and our responsibility. Public Pluto is sitting across from all of these planets, and it's most in line with Mercury. It's opposing Mercury, the planet of processing information, the planet of belief. We in the United States are going to have to confront our belief, our foundations, our past historical actions both domestic and abroad. And I should say that Mercury's a planet of memory more than of belief, but um, we only remember our beliefs. So in that way, it's sort of a planet of belief. Um, it's interesting that asteroid Eris is sitting right across from all of these planets, just along um, it's, it's sitting in opposition. Eris is sitting right in the fourth house, uh, a little bit further over than Pluto, um, but it's opposing the planets in the 10th house. Um, Eris represents all of the people that the United States has wronged over these past 269 years or more. Eris represents the people who participate in revolutions. Eris represents the tired, the poor, the overworked, the under-admitted, the disallowed participators. We either take care of business and confront our past, or this group will violently depose the current power holders and in their place take power for themselves. This is the way the patriarchy rejuvenates itself, and this is the message of Eris. There's another interesting thing in this um, astrological chart, and it's a yod between the asteroid Panacea, which is in 12th house Virgo, Mercury, which is in 10th house Sag, and the moon, which is in 5th house Aquarius. It's pointing towards the moon. A yod is an interesting uh, configuration that links three different energies. With the yod, energy moves through a very narrow range of possibilities. This yod is visible if you're using whole house signs. Mercury in a 10th house Sagittarian energy combines with the energy of Panacea in the 12th house Virgo energy, and it's going to move towards the moon in the 5th house of Aquarius. So let's, let's see what all this is. Mercury. 
Mercury is the planet closest to the sun. So it's an energy that we in the United States really identify with. Um, Mercury is a small planet and it goes really fast around the sun. Mercury moves so fast that it sometimes it gets ahead of itself and it looks like it's moving backwards, um, which is why we have Mercury retrogrades. But this back and forth uh, that we see, it's similar to the back and forth that the Mercury the God did. Uh, Mercury the God had the ability to go back and forth between Earth and Hades. Um, he went back and forth so that he could communicate with Ceres about her daughter Persephone. Uh, Persephone had been kidnapped by Pluto. Um, and, you know, the reality of this is that none of these Greek gods were really great individuals. They all did have their good moments, but from my perspective, their tremendous acts of violence were really pretty tremendous. Uh, Mercury had his moments with women, too. It's, uh, they all are violent. So Mercury, um, he has to do with how we process information. Um, how we remember information. It's, it's more of a short-term memory with Mercury. Um, and then I'm saying it, it's related to belief because we process our information through our beliefs. Um, so that's what we're going to have to be dealing with. In Sagittarius, Mercury's ability to process, it tends to move like wildfire. There's an ability to make connections with disparate ideas that are not always immediately obvious to someone who has a Mercury in a different sign. Um, uh, Mercury is connected, um, well, I, I just said it was connected to belief, but belief serves like a blinder, and it really keeps us from seeing the energy that's going on around us. And in Sag, this, this is very bothersome to Mercury, this not being able to see all of the information because of blinders. Um, as soon as Mercury realized the, realizes the blinders there, it's deeply disturbed by it. And for Mercury, there is always a dual nature. And it comes from um, the, the physical properties of being Mercury the element, uh, a liquid metal. Young people these days do not have the experience of playing with Mercury that people my age did. Although I would have to say probably people my age all have terrible diseases because of the time that we spent playing with mercury since it is uh, so very poisonous. But mercury is an experience like none other. Mercury is a liquid with a high surface tension. And this means that if you take a dropper and drop just one drop onto the table, you can push that drop of mercury along the surface, surface of the table just like you would a little wheel. Uh, one time a friend of mine and I, we were playing with Mercury at her house, and she had quite a bit of it. I think her mom must have been saving it from thermometers. And we played happily with it for quite a while, pushing the little drops around until they fell off of our hand, because it's you can't keep control of Mercury either. Um, at the end, well, they would drop off of our hands and drop down into the carpet, and then they just disappear. At the end, we realized that what we had done, that there's a pool of mercury underneath the carpet. I asked her if she was going to tell her parents, and she said no, and I was glad that we were not going to get in trouble. So that's sort of the duality. 
It's beautiful, but it's poisonous. Uh, it's fun, but you can get into huge trouble if you drop it into the carpet. It's a liquid, but it's most dangerous when it's a gas. So the dangerous part of having a puddle of mercury under your carpet is that as those little droplets dried up, they were probably poisoning the whole family. We didn't realize that at the time, but I realize it now. Um, here's the deal with mercury, the 10th house and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Work is a driver for our society. Um, in the U.S. today, you either work or you have trouble. But that's not really the way it's supposed to be. Our, our um, Constitution does not say that you must work in order to have rights as a citizen. It's simply our belief in work that allows us to force people to work in order to keep them living on this planet. Um, my daughter turned 20 in November, and I took the entire family out for an Italian dinner at my favorite Italian restaurant to celebrate her birthday. Luckily, she likes the restaurant, too. Uh, we made up a fairly large party. There was almost 10 of us at this restaurant. And the waiter was a longtime waiter. It was obvious from how good he was at his job and the ease with which he handled our large party. But I looked at his hands, and they were covered with what looked like cellulitis. And I'm not able to diagnose him. I'm, I'm just a chaplain, a mother, sitting at the table, but I'm watching his, his hands. Um, and there's certainly other things that could have been wrong with his skin, but I've worked in hospice and I've worked at a medical clinic for senior citizens at the end of their lives. And I've seen a lot of cellulitis and this looked exactly like what I've seen. That's all I'm saying. So, um, he was bent over. He was very old. He could have been completely healthy, ready to live another 10 years, but I don't think so. Uh, I think we were watching a man who was working while he was dying. I've been to the supermarket, and the person working the register is using oxygen. And from the breathing pattern that this woman was using, I'm pretty sure that she had COPD. <sighs> I know, I'm pretty sure at least, that in the world that I want to live in, well, I know that in the world I want to live in, but the world that we want to live in, we're not going to be requiring people to work once they've been diagnosed with a terminal disease. I don't want to prohibit anybody from working, but not prohibiting and requiring, those are two separate energies, and they run in opposite directions. We in the United States have required quite a few people to work right up until the moment of their death. And that's criminal in my book. And actually, it's interesting, we uh, require them to work, but we don't give them health insurance. So they die on their own, on their own dime while we're requiring them to work right up until their death. Um, and then in the middle of this, pandemic, at least in the United States, we can see how hard it is for people to give up their creature comforts. Many people are running to Starbucks every day. They're certainly running to the supermarket every day. Um, in some ways, our life hasn't changed at all. We just aren't working. 
or we're getting paid, but we're not working. But the, there are people that are being forced to work right now. People that are in the supermarkets, people that are in 7-Eleven, um, the post office, Amazon, uh, some restaurants, uh, Costco, Lowe's, Home Depot. There's a, there's a ton of businesses that are still open up. And none of these people are working with protection. And the people that are at home uh, getting paid for being at home are relying on these other people just to keep working, keep supplying them with the creature comforts. But what's happening is the people that are being forced to work are more afraid of not working than they are of the virus. That's about to change. They're going to become much more afraid of this virus than they are of not working. And when that happens, everything is going to shut down. Um, so it's obvious that, uh, well, when you look at what's been happening, so there's a... Uh, an article about Starbucks and how the management at Starbucks was um, sort of bungling it at the beginning in terms of sick people and asking them to keep working. And there's another article about uh, management in another, another industry. I can't remember what, which industry, but the management, it's not really doing such a good job of sending people home when they're sick and, um, it's actually turning out that management is putting us at a tremendous risk during the virus, particularly if you include Trump in on that management that is putting us at tremendous risk. Um, it's kind of interesting. In the real world, world there's no energy of being bossed around. Uh, there's, you don't really need managers in the natural world. Um, it may be hard for you to hear because we really love managers. We think that they're just wonderful, but there's really no energy of needing a manager in the real world. Being bossed around is something that a parasite does because the parasite always has to be in control of the host. But where we're going, we're going into a place of cooperation and not one of control. And in fact, if you look at the United States, look at the last number of presidents. Um, this President Trump, uh, he's president only in his own mirror. We've lived the last three years with no president. The last president, President Obama, he was largely knocked out of being president by the authoritarian senators and representatives in our federal government. The authoritarians in our legislative branch of government kept President Obama from doing anything. And then before President Obama, we had the second, President Bush, and he was largely absent during, during our biggest moments. He was busy flying all over the United States, hiding immediately after the planes hit the towers on September 11th. And then he was too focused on war and torturing Afghanis and Iraqis to do much with being our president. And then before that, we had President Clinton, 
and he was knocked out of action by our ter- the terrible behavior of the, United- the people in the United States uh, and by the authoritarians in our legislative branch who um, were hell-bent on getting him out of office after his relationship with his aide came to light. Um, really, it was the American people and the legislative branch who participated wholeheartedly in taking both him and the young aide down. And I have to say it was one of American people's worst moments. Uh, But if we've spent so much time without a president, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of president are we really looking for this next time around? When people are too afraid to work, the economic energy of the U.S. society is finally going to shut down and we will finally be through the worst of the virus, but we're going to have to wait until the people who are holding this society up, the people that work at the grocery store, the people that are cleaning, the people at the gas station, people at 7-Eleven, the people that are working at all of our box stores, they're the ones holding up U.S. society right now. And when they finally become too afraid of the virus and stop working, our economic system is going to shut down. And then we'll be, we can at least be on the the downside of the virus, which still could take years. But um, on the other side of that yacht is the Panacea asteroid. So, um, Mercury is on one side, our belief, our belief in work. And then the panacea asteroids on the other. So this is something we haven't seen before. Miriam Webster, she lists the, or I guess it's he, because um, it's Noah, uh, lists the definition of panacea as a solution or remedy for all ills or difficulties. All right, so it's a solution for ills. That's what we're looking for. Now, Panacea is a goddess, a goddess, and she was a goddess that reportedly and interestingly carried around a potion that would cure people. And also interestingly, Panacea is related via her father to the snake wrapped around a staff, which our doctors like to use uh, to signify that they're in the medical field. All right, so Panacea is in the 12th house, and she's in the sign of Virgo. And both of these are important parts of the story. So Virgo is an ancient energy for humans. The glyph for Virgo is a young woman holding a sheaf of wheat. And when I look at human society today, I see mechanisms that we use for sorting each other into groups. We have worthy, unworthy. Valuable, not valuable. Voice, no voice. Influence, no influence. Money, no money. Our society is spread out into neat little layers with one layer on top of another. And each layer measures out exactly just how much worth each of us has. Each layer measures out just how valuable each of us is to ourselves and to society. Our layers are stacked neatly on top of one another in smaller and smaller layers until we reach the very top layer. 
sometimes known as the cream of the crop, sometimes referred to as the extremely powerful. This top layer is very far removed from the bottom layers of society, and the top layer cares nothing for the bottom layer. I've heard things said like, they deserve what they get. They made their decision to have a bad job. They're probably lazy, or they goofed off in high school. I've heard all sorts of comments like that. And if you're from a different racial group than the people at the top, well, we all know what's wrong with those different racial groups. Uh, I've heard that Mexicans are interested in getting stuff for free. They get healthcare, jobs, schooling for free, and all they care about is government assistance. The numbers of times that I've heard a white person say that is astonishing. Uh, we have black people. Black people are lazy, uh, but their main trouble is that they're violent and they're not very smart. Um, I've been hearing comments like this since I was very little. These are all beliefs. They're all incorrect. And they keep everyone trapped. Okay, here's the thing. Um... We know that what these people are thinking and saying about the other people is incorrect. But if you tell that to someone that holds one of those beliefs, they say, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, I know that many of you have had these kinds of conversations with the people that hold these kinds of beliefs. And I know the reaction that you've received from the holder of that belief. The reaction is a nasty one. It's also a violent one. It's actually extremely violent. The ways that people sort are sorted in our society, it's actually very reminiscent of the process that we use to harvest wheat. So let's talk about the process used to harvest wheat. That's the meaning of that young woman that's holding the sheaf of wheat. Um, so let's look at it. The first thing you do when you're harvesting wheat is you cut it down. You use a big sickle just like the Grim Reaper uses. And how often do we cut people down in our daily society? All the time I'm hearing one person cut somebody down. Uh, we say you reap what you sow. These are all references to the harvesting wheat. Okay, so harvesting wheat has several steps. So the next step is to thresh the wheat. And this is where the beating comes in, gonna beat it out of you. The wheat is beaten down, it's pummeled. This is where the chaff is separated from the edible part of the wheat. Um, the wanted and the unwanted are separated on the threshing floor. Um, you can also thresh by walking all over the top of the wheat. How many times do we walk all over the top of somebody? or break it up and separate it. These are all ways that we separate human beings as well as wheat. Okay, so the next part of the sowing, I mean the next part of uh, harvesting wheat is the winnowing. And that's where the bran is separated from the seed head. So during winnowing, um, usually a woman, uh, although it can be a machine as well uh, in more modern times, it's held up high and it's shaken. And as it's falling, the wind carries away the chaff 
and it carries away the chaff, which is the the, um, the bran, because it's a it's light and it has hardly any weight. Whereas the heavier seeds, they just keep moving and they can be collected as they fall. Um, so this winnowing is blowing something away. It's blowing something off. It's having no weight. It's not mattering. Um, these are all separation techniques. It's a part of Virgo. And it's a part of Virgo because of the number of individuals that we separate and sort this way. Um, let's look, because we have um, a number of Virgo individuals on our southern border, the refugees who we are imprisoning. Um, who we are imprisoning during this time of, of uh, virus. It's awful. Um, but let's look at the refugees. If we have one refugee, if we have 10 refugees, there's no problem. They, they can come over, we welcome them, everything's easy. But if the number grows of refugees, and let's say we have maybe a thousand per day, uh, maybe even at just a hundred per day, it can be a smaller number than that. But the refugees are blowing over our border because um, they're not wanted in their country, like the chaff. They're just sort of blowing over to us. Um, when the refugees pile up on the border, it can qu cause quite a big reaction. This is a Virgo reaction. Dust particles are also Virgo-like. A little dust is one thing. You can just sweep it away inside your house. It's, it's super easy. But lots of dust, and we can have a dust bowl. This is Virgo in action. Little things building up. The 12th house is the last house in the astrological chart. After 12, everything starts over at the beginning. It's sort of a death and renewal type of house. The 12th house deals with secrets, with hidden groups, with being undone, that's the dying, soul growth. And it also deals with strengths and weaknesses. That's, that's the interesting part. Um, let's look at being undone. We have quite a lot to undo in society. In essence, we have ourselves quite a Gordian knot to undo. It has always seemed impossible to us. After all, it's our problems that are interconnected. It's our solutions that stand in solitude. But with the economy out of the way, it's going to be much easier to solve our problems and to create the society that we need, the society that we want. A society without belief, without value, without valuing anybody. Um, without anyone being unwanted. So we have all of that trying to fit through a narrow opening. And this narrow opening is going to be in the house of creativity, which is the fifth house. The planets waiting in the fifth house is the moon. And the moon allows us to see everything in a different light. The fifth house is a fun house. And not in the way that I used to go to the fun house at the amusement park. The fifth house is the house of recreation and play. And we're going to have to come up with a new first law of thermodynamics. Instead of work, this first law of thermodynamics is going to have to be something about 
how much energy we, we receive when we enjoy ourselves together with our community. Interestingly, this um, moon in the fifth house is in Aquarius. And so we're also going to be able to um, heal some of the wounds from slavery. Uh, this is a big part of all of this. So here's what we have to do in order to get to the fifth house of fun. Uh, we have to begin confronting our beliefs. And we can start by simply distancing so ourselves from them. We're going to find quite a few beliefs that are going to be uh, come up during this um, pandemic. That's okay. Just distance yourself from them. Look at them. See how much you used to identify with your beliefs, but how it's possible to not identify with the belief. Uh, we're going to need to work on establishing establishing a government that provides equity before the Constitution for everyone who is here. Nobody forgotten, nobody hidden away, nobody without health insurance, nobody without a job. Um, well, we're not going to be requiring people to have a job, so it won't be such a big deal to not have a job, but um, equity before the Constitution. And if you want to talk to me about equity, give me a call. We can talk. Uh, we're going to have to come up with a vaccine against the SARS-CoV-2. And then we're going to have to begin working to pr produce vaccines against all types of viruses. There's more to do, but that's a very good start. And I have quite a bit more to say about viruses, um, but that's going to have to wait until another episode. So if you want to speak to me, give me a call, 720-608-0309. Or you can email me, governmentalastrology at gmail.com. As always, I'm glad you're here. <laughs>